This is Thrive Perspectives, an ever-growing discussion about the issues and ideas that shape our lives, with your guide, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Matt Connell, here we are, back at the studio, picking up our, uh, our journey through uh, worldview in yeah. our Thrive Perspectives, and I thought it might be just good to recap what we've covered so far in our world uh, worldview series. I think our listeners have memorised uh, everything so far, too. Is that I know they do. So, uh, listeners, you'll recall we've we've talked about over the journey. We've talked about uh, the double axis um, worldview, where we're looking at uh, a horizontal plane, uh, which moves from pain to pleasure, and that tends to be where many of us. Uh, habitate quite comfortably uh, with the aim of moving as quickly as we can or as consistently as we can from pain to pleasure. Uh, But then we talked about introducing this vertical axis which uh, has sacred at the top and profane at the bottom and the fact that really God is calling us up into the sacred. We then looked at the interaction between the four quadrants that that double axis creates where we've got you know, pleasure in the sacred and pain in the sacred. Uh, we looked at um, how we become more sensitive to that vertical axis. You know how we um, how we become in our lives of busyness, and and we talked a lot about how um, media and other things impact us there. How we actually create space uh, and pursue holiness um, mm. through through uh, a greater engagement and greater sensitivity with the with the vertical axis of the sacred. And then <clears throat> last episode. We uh, we talked a little bit about the narrative by which we under which we live our lives and therefore what what mm. in in a sense shapes our ethics or our a sense of right or wrong and yep. where that where that's drawn from. So there's a bit of a recap of the concern. Where the we've concern there, so Stu, is mm. uh, that we so readily live on that flat axis. Yeah. That that's the you know. So the challenge. Uh, is to recognise this other dimension of, and and essentially that's what we're trying to point to here. Is this there's this other dimension of reality, and uh, you know we're all trying to move along that horizontal in our culture, trying to move along that horizontal uh, axis. But you know we are wired actually for the for the vertical axis, for a pursuit of holiness, the sacred, the sublime, all the things that lie at the top uh, of that. Um, you know, glory, uh, that, those, that sense of the sacred, that there is this whole aspect of reality. And then, you know, at the bottom, I mean, profane is probably a, it's a fairly neutral, pr- profane is sort of not kind of non-sacred, ordinary, uh, but there's even, you know, there's even those experiences like dis- experiences of defilement and guilt and, and you know, um, and what we've said is that because of our, uh, because those are really the most painful aspects in a sense, perhaps even psychological, we would certainly say on a double axis framework, spiritually painful yeah. experiences, people tend to try to get rid of the whole thing. We're yes. just going to anesthetize ourselves to that whole yeah, aspect of reality, just shut it out. But we can't. It's We're, we're wired for that, you know, mm-hmm. and so we're left fairly fairly empty. So that's, you know, that's really the, the importance of, of recognizing because your culture won't help you with that. Our culture won't help us with this. Our culture has this flattening effect mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. on our reality. And oh, a very big part of what we look to do as, you know, as, as a church is to actually open that reality up for people, you know, as we engage in in the sacred rhythms of you know of life and worship and and reading scripture. It's all about uh, sensitizing ourselves to that that wider, you know, that bigger aspect yeah, of reality. Great. I think yeah. yeah, too, Matt. When we're talking about sacred, is the um, one of the things we have talked about is the fact that, and especially with and when we're talking last episode about the narrative and the yeah. meta. You know the meta narrative yeah. and so on. It's like there's a story that emerges from us, a, a story that we can control, mm. as opposed to a story that's imposed on us from mm. outside. And yeah. and I think, or, or that we're just part of and sort of born into. Yeah, yeah. But you know. either way, it's all about us being in control yeah. of the story. And I think that's the the key thing there is when we're talking too about sacred and the profane. It doesn't matter where you stand. In your in your worldview, you can't get rid of those ideas. You can't eliminate them, but you flip them around in a sense that sacred is something that you control, as opposed to sacred yeah. is something that's declared as sacred from outside. Yeah. When you really boil a, a lot of it down, I think a lot of it comes back to 
us wanting to control, us wanting to tell the story, control the narrative. We want to decide what's sacred and and determine reality, what's profane, as opposed to this vertical axis. This other dimension is actually brought into us from outside. It's actually, in our worldview, it's God that decides what's sacred. That's right. God that decides what's profane. And unless we get that axis uh, in its right place, and we get to live within that then the rest of the horizontal axis doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. It'll always be something that we co- we're constantly kind of wrestle yeah. with and, 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 uh, and rub up against. Yeah, that's right. It, none of this really makes sense. So you end up just sort of bouncing between pleasure and pain. Yeah, and, and that's, that's so indicative of the times in which we live in, in that people want to determine their own reality. We want to write our own story. Mm. Uh, I I am who I say I am, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I determine my identity. I determine my purpose. Mm. I set my own meaning to life. Uh, and, that, I de- and I determine who I'm accountable to, because I think also part of this is yeah, we don't want right. to be accountable to anyone else yeah. outside of ourselves. Yes. this And, and <clears throat> in a sense, all of that can be described as essentially being expressions of at a fundamental level, our God complex. Yeah. We want to be God. This is, and according to scripture, this is the core issue with, with human beings is, is the unwillingness to let God be God. And uh, so instead, you know, having rejected God, the, the, the essence of our rebellion is not just that we reject God, but therefore necessarily that we end up yeah. determining our own, you know, our own reality. Which which brings us actually to the very co- this very core uh, aspect of our worldview that I think is worth uh, talking about that may seem obvious to to people and, and and that is the reality of God and the nature of of the being of God. Now I know that sounds a bit esoteric, so stay with me here. But this is actually one thing that uh, I in in my experience a lot of Christians I think get this wrong in some really subtle ways that have enormous practical implications for how we understand i guess what we expect of god and what an experience of god perhaps looks like uh it leads to you know all sorts of issues that 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 i'll talk about so our understanding of god is just so so crucial and it's it's absolutely crucial to our worldview and so i think what we're going to do is in this episode focus on uh on this uh let me let me maybe shape uh, the problem that, as as I've uh, experienced it. If I if I was to ask the average sort of person, uh, you know, in, in in church about how they would like to uh, or how they expect to experience God, uh, particularly people that struggle in this area, uh, people who perhaps uh, struggle with doubts around this area. One of the problems is they're looking for some experience of God, right? I, I'm, I'm looking for some experience of God. And when you break it down and, and I ask the question, well, what is it that you're actually looking for here? What is it that you're looking for? Let, let's analyze that. And, and it invariably, they want to experience something, some, something, uh, something sort of tangible, some kind of experience could, could be, uh, Often it's something to do with their senses, you know, like emotions or chills or or being overwhelmed or I don't know falling over or being maybe experiencing some miracle or it's it yeah. always comes back to something uh well something um something well, tangible. It's not unreasonable given the fact no. that we 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 the bible does say that god wants to have a relationship that's right. with us and that's right and so so it's not it's not bad to want something experiential because a relationship is an experiential mm-hmm. experiential thing the problem is 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 the nature of that experience that we then expect like what is that what because it, and it's not that it's not it won't be emotional or it won't be in in some senses that it can't be those things mm-hmm. but here's the problem is that we are and this is a bit of a cultural thing as well. And this is why this conversation falls within a worldview worldview discussion. Because we habitually only recognize as knowledge 
So for me to say that I know something, that I know that God is real. Uh, if I ask you, do you know that God is real? Uh, a lot of people would stumble on that because we're conditioned to only accept as knowledge what we can grasp either intellectually or in a sensorial kind of way. Yep. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So Empirical evidence. Yeah, it's like empirical to intent. And, and that's kind of knowledge. Everything else is a little bit fluffy and 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 maybe even, you know, what tends to happen is that, you know, we think, well, there's real knowledge, mm. right? There's the real, that's the knowledge of think, tangible things, right? And then there's just faith. You know, faith is what you have to have when you can't have real knowledge. That's mm. That tends to be how people think. Yeah. But actually, there's a problem with that because that's not the biblical definition of faith. No. Uh, well, well, actually, like one of the things, you know, if you watch, um, say, Richard Dawkins, the God delusion, mm. you know, um, and read the book there, the very which, pre- we, which premise, I wouldn't recommend. It's no, but the a load of rubbish. But no, anyway, <laughs> but the very opening uh, point is really that faith is the opposite of of reason. It's, yeah, it's when there is no proof, there's no evidence. Yeah. So therefore, you just have blind. to believe in the absence of any evidence, and then pretty much the rest of the the rest of the the argument that he's making is why that's an unreasonable and a dangerous ground to stand on. And I would agree with him just to accept things yeah. for absolutely no reason whatsoever, other than you just kind of just conjure it up and just going to have faith in something that has no evidence, no reason to even have yeah. faith in it. It's, it's erecting that kind of straw yeah. man of what actual faith, that's not what faith is. But yeah, so he's starting with an assumption, and his assumption is it's not real knowledge unless it's sort of scientifically verifiably, yeah. at least potentially scientifically, verif- you know, ver- you can verify it through the scientific method. Well, that's a common common strategy that atheists will use to, to, yes. to, to, because they'll get you on that ground to start with, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the discussion is once you buy into that, go. Why do you believe it? Oh, well, I have faith. Mm-hmm. And then go. Well, you know, as I've just demonstrated, that faith without any evidence or reason behind it at all is inherently dangerous. And, and so, therefore, what's your what's your evidence yeah. to have so, faith in it? Yeah. And 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 it's straight away there. You, you're playing the game. Yeah, and they, their rules. that's right. And they think that's actually wrong. So they're not just saying, they're not just trying to debunk uh, faith. Mm. They're actually trying to eradicate it. So they they actually think it's wrong. It's interesting that, but you know, they feel that there's an imperative to get rid of that. So they think that you should not believe in things in the absence of evidence. Mm-hmm. You know, Dawkins, uh, you know, said, "I'm not an atheist. I'm a militant atheist." Uh, right. in, in a in a you know famous yeah. TED talk that he mm-hmm. did so because he actually wants to eradicate and because he he just thinks it's wrong to believe in things that are that in in the absence of mm-hmm. of of evidence now you know again he's working with assumptions and his assumptions his assumption is you cannot you cannot claim as knowledge we cannot claim to know things that are not either self-evidently true, as in through pure reason, mm-hmm. you know, like mathematical equations, yeah. or, you know, available to the senses in some some, some sense, you mm-hmm. know, provable uh, in, a, in a very tangible sense. But that in turn assumes that there's no, that, that, that there is no other aspect of reality. This gets us back to where we've just come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it, that assumes that there is no other aspect of reality that there's not another aspect of reality that perhaps isn't uh, that that we can that we know in a different sense you know mm. it, it, there's so much that it is assumed there that that he doesn't even present an argument for this is this is the problem with that and this is where you know over the last 20 years since the, since he you know went on his rant mm-hmm. uh, his atheistic rant <clears throat> i mean philosophers have have readily pointed out the fact that mm-hmm. his his argument has no basis even in fact even atheistic philosophers yeah. have have, yeah. have really said look you know it's there's so much is assumed uh he's i mean he's actually drawing on a a, a philosophical foundation uh known as positivism mm-hmm. uh, particularly logical positivism mm-hmm. which actually died out the logical positivists themselves, the most famous logical positivist, uh, A.J. Ayer, 
admitted, I think already in the early 70s or even late 60s, that, uh, yeah, that, that, that didn't work. Because uh, yeah. we couldn't prove our right. Because basically they were saying, uh, they were making the point that, that there is no, there's no reality outside of what, you know, we can empirically, pr- empirically prove, right? Mm-hmm. And they just admitted, well, but that, that dictum, that, yeah. Maxim actually yeah. can't be empirically yes. proven, so yeah. mm-hmm. so we can't empirically prove that this that reality actually is this narrow, right? Yeah. Um. And and so you know that this is getting back to the flat axis. You, there, there's no argument you can say that that's all there is to reality. Yeah. Like there could be, and and we would certainly affirm that there is, and and every, everyone who has ever lived otherwise uh, has always affirmed that there is this whole other dimension of reality. That therefore, by its very nature. We then, therefore, need to know in a different sense, right? Mm-hmm. And this gets me back to my point about knowing, right? Because we're we're habitually uh, we're habituated to this notion of knowledge that if I don't know in this sort of tangible sense, then I don't know. Uh, and what what it mean what it means is is that we're not we're conditioned to not recognize things that we actually do know. We're almost blinded to that kind of knowledge because. We're not really taught to recognize it or attune ourselves to this different way of knowing, right? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, it's the exercising of, of a different way of knowing that is a large part of what, again, getting back to the thing, was what we do in church and when we, you know, uh, worship and prayer and all of these things is about exercising uh, a different kind of capacity of knowing. Mm. You know, it's like a lot of people think, well, I'll stand back and, and, and I'll try and know it in in this sort of tangible sense. And when I do, then I'll enter into worship and prayer and, you know, but yeah. it's actually only in the process of, mm-hmm. of actually exercising and open, opening up this other capacity for knowing that you actually do come to really know. And that's the, you know, that that's the, and ultimately deep down we have as, as has been argued by um, Alvin Plantinga, a, a contemporary Christian philosopher has, you know, put compelling arguments for the fact that we innately know God, and I think that's that there's some biblical uh, warrant for that, that mm-hmm. we're born with innate knowledge of God. Yeah, but there, there is, uh, in another sense, I think we, we, we sort of all know in, in a very immediate sense. I mean, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, although they knew God, he says God's existence is plain to everyone. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's plain in the universe around us, but there's something within us that allows us to recognize that. And it's something like innate knowledge, but it's also something that I, that, that I want to talk a little bit about uh, as as we move on. But let's get back to God, right? Are you guys with yeah, me? Yeah, no, that's You're good. Right? That's good. I was just I was just going to say, I, I mean, to some degree, you have to do de- you have to define evidence to say evidence? Because I would say, for me as a Christian, yeah. I have tons of evidence of God in in, in my life. It's not the kind of evidence that I can lay out on a table, yeah. Essentially, um, but I would say, from a scientific point of view, give me the evidence of black of um, dark matter. They mm. they they don't know what it is. They can't detect it, but they know there must be something because nothing would work without it. But yeah. they can't actually prove the existence of dark matter yeah. apart from the fact that something won't work with the absence of it. Yeah, the rest of science doesn't work with the absence, or the universe doesn't work with the absence of dark matter. And so, they've spent decades trying to identify dark matter but they're happy to accept that and to me that's as much faith well i think they the difference though i think is that they may end up i can understand as a natural still a naturalistic concept they may end up figuring out how to yeah we've got got to to be careful there yeah sure we've got to be careful with that god of the gaps thing i mean you know it's interesting in hebrews uh, chapter 11 it says faith is the evidence Mm. so uh, because faith is the is the product of the Holy Spirit doing something in our lives. Yeah, right. Uh, and so it is. So faith isn't a substitute for knowledge. It's a kind of knowledge. Yeah, right. Mm. It's this other, this this other aspect of knowledge. Now, now the the reason why I think there's it will become evidence to you when, when I talk about God of the gaps. Uh, let, let let me explain. I'll explain what I mean by yeah, that in a moment because that's yeah. a very that's a very prominent sort of idea and and. And, and and perhaps the best way to approach this is to is to look at this historically. So so the the problem I'm trying to get at is is this need that we feel like we've got to experience something tangible. If it's if we don't experience you know experience something tangible, then 
you know, we don't recognize it as knowledge. The problem with that is that biblical spe- biblically speaking, let's just start there. God is not a thing, mm. you know, uh, a thing among things. Mm. God, so 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 God is is not tangible. God is spirit. Okay, mm. so that's this is the first thing. To talk about, well, I want to experience something. So even if you experience a miracle, like some amazing miracle, that is something. That's something that God does. Mm. I mean, even we are living in the midst of the most amazing miracle. We're living at the universe. Mm. We're living in an unfolding miracle. Our very lives are a miracle. I mean, all of this is 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 miraculous in a sense. But it's all they're things. These these are things that God has made, right? Mm. They're, they're but it's but God Himself. Is is not uh, a discrete thing, as it were. Well, we think of God in our mind. The, well, the only thing that we know is a created thing. Yeah. So when we're thinking of God, we we know that He wasn't created, but we still make Him into an embodiment of yeah. something that is a created thing, like a like yeah. a like a person. And certainly, in you know the the view of God that's presented in the church is as God, who's your friend and we we end up personifying yeah. God into something that is a, is a is a is a th- we can't well, which is okay in a sense because because God yeah. presents Himself what we would and, and the term that we use anthropomorphically like God and because God wants that personal relationship Absolutely. and so there's yep. there's a there's a sense of of personableness and and God is you know relational and and and, and that's that's fine. But the problem is, is that we think. I mean, Paul says that although they knew God, they didn't worship him. Worship him as God. This is Romans one, uh, you know, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. That, uh, but instead, we worshipped and served created things, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, the second commandment is: do not make an engraven image. You know, do do not make an image of God. First commandment is: don't worship other gods. Mm-hmm. Second commandment is: don't reduce God to. A thing. A, a thing to something, essentially. So it's fine. You know, we speak of God as Father, and, and God is, is our, He is our Father God, and God is a personal God. Uh, we, even speaking, using the word person is, is, is appropriate. But the problem is, you then have, you know, people not, not, Kind of feeling like they accept that unless I ha- unless I experience God in in some sense like I'm experiencing you sitting me opposite me you know mm-hmm. whereas this is the problem is God is not a a, a discrete thing over there or uh, th- there's a and in short you know there's a constancy to the knowledge of God uh, there's a constancy to the presence of God and this is the thing that scripture teaches is that God is everywhere all the time in everything at work mm-hmm. constantly. Right. And so even now in every cell of our bodies, uh, in every atom, uh, you know, that makes us up in even, even in the, in the quantum particles surrounding us and, and the, you know, the, the quantum fields of which we're all of that. God is constantly at work. In all of that, all the time, mm-hmm. like we are literally immersed in the presence of God, all the time. That's what's that's the theological word for this is to say that God is omnipresent, right? Yes. So this is one of the problems is 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 it's the very constancy of the reality of God that can cause us not to sort of recognize that. Yeah. Because we keep looking for something, right? It's like where is God's here or there? It's like a, you know, it's like a fish saying of the ocean, where, where's the ocean? I, I don't see the ocean. Show me. I don't see yeah. the ocean. Yeah. Where is the, yeah. where is this ocean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, whereas with a fish, the ocean is outside them and inside them, actually, as well. You know. Mm. So, and actually, you know, I mean, even that analogy falls short because God is way more present yeah. to us and in us and around us, even than an ocean is. Even is that you know even more so than air. You know, there's yeah. another analogy that we might use, and this is actually a biblical analogy because the word spirit. Has the that sense of air or wind? Wind moves like God moves, and 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 so yes, there, there are experiential elements to that. But God is as constant as yeah. air, and we can easily not notice the air that we that we breathe. So every time we we try to put any kind of analogy or description on what God is, it falls way 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 short of what God actually is because. It's completely outside of any comprehension. So even when we talk about God being personal, and that's 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 true, 
But then we take that and we go, well, in if God's omnipresent, does that mean he kind of, you know, how does that work? How can you be omnipresent? Does he run around the world so quickly that he's everywhere at the same time? Or, <laughs> you know, you can't kind of translate what that means because we, we take that and it's only one, it's only a, a useful way of thinking about God, but mm. it's, it's very, very limiting. And I think when we're talking about being omnipresent, it's not that God is everywhere at the same time. He literally is he, everything. He, he is everywhere. Mm. He, yeah, that's he right. is what everywhere even is. Even is you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I, I think at, the, at this stage, just, to, just a little caution, because, yeah. you know, one of the things that, that tends to happen, there is, I think, an intuition of this in, in some religions. So, for example, in the Hindu Upanishads, there is this sort of bottom-up intuition of this pervasive reality. I mean, the, these are, you know, the, the Upanishads is the sort of wisdom literature of the, of the Hindu religion. And, you know, th- these are these gurus that have, that, you know, through meditation and, I mean, days and days of meditation, you know. And, and I think actually they've intuited something quite valid. And, and I can say that because, you know, as Paul says in Romans 1, although they knew God, okay, now that, that, that he's not denying that they know God. So there's almost like I was really impressed by this, reading the Upanishads, this sense of this intuition of this pervasive reality. The problem is, is it becomes depersonalized and, and, it, and then God is identified with everything, so, that, you know, there's this sense God is in every, you know, God is, yeah, yeah. you know, there's sense that there's God even is the source of it. Like there's so much that they declare that is true, but they lose, it becomes, and the word for it is becomes pantheistic. Yeah. And this is just the limited perspective. This is why I think we need the light of revelation. I mean, you know, because God communicates with us mm. and he shows us that he is personal that he is our father, that he loves us. And in fact, our sense of being personal, the sense in which we are personal, mm. actually is a reflection of God. You know, mm. uh, so it's not that God is like us. No, no, we're like God. God. Uh, in, well, in, actually, well, actually, it's almost, if we start with the idea that God is in everything, but yet it's kind of amazing to think that it just doesn't stay out there. Is as mm. some kind of mystical concept, yeah. But he actually becomes personable, relatable, and having a relationship, yeah, with you. So it's it's you've got. I think you've got to understand it on on those two extremes. And I think obviously God is even bigger, way way bigger than those extremes. But even if we start thinking about God in that way, because a lot of religions would stop at the idea that God's in everything and He's some sort of conscious mystical being but not a personal one that actually is like a person also that, that relates to you yeah at a personal level and th- yeah that, that's well, religions have tended to fall either side of that and yeah. it's interesting because i think even christians tend to because we've really leaned into the personal aspect yeah. and so therefore that's that's then impacted how we think we want to experience god which mm. is i think what you were saying before yeah. connor we've we've tried to, to make yeah, that's him, right. into a person so, yeah. so so we've you know, we've leaned into the, let's call it the imminence of God, that the personal, that personal, you know, we've leaned into the 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 sense of God being our father and personal and loving, which t- totally we should, yeah. that's, yep. that's, that's yeah. fine. But the, the, the problem is, Not is the that we can, of, yeah, yeah. We, we need to remember all of the, you know, that so much of scripture is all about the greatness of mm. God and the, the, you know, that, that sense of, uh, that pervasive reality, uh, and uh, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, you know, which is a, which I think has a beautiful expression of, uh, it's just one of the traditional confessions of faith for for a number of different uh, church traditions, and it, it refers to God as the fountain of being. Uh, it, it's a, it's a great, you know. So, so there's a sense in which even. Even our very being, you know, God is 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 the fountain of. I mean, you know, we, we exist and we have being. That is participating already in something mm-hmm. of God. Our very consciousness. So mm-hmm. the fact that we're conscious of what's going on in this room, and 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 uh, you know, listeners are conscious of what's going on around them and what they're hearing. That very consciousness actually is already a participation in something mm-hmm. miraculous and divine. Yeah. Right. It's it's. 
there's so much discussion in philosophy of mind around the origins of consciousness and and the, the, a reductionist theory of consciousness, which is just you know uh, it's just the, the result of. Uh, the, the brain, you know, firing mm. neurons and so in, in the chemistry in the brain or whatever. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people are, are saying now in the, in the field of philosophy of mind, we, the, that's just doesn't, that seems inadequate. There's something else going on here that we can't quite put our finger yep. on. And, uh, and so, but, and, but we would say, you know, even our consciousness is, we are actually actively participating in something divine just by, the mm. exercising of this of this capacity, right? Yeah. So, so there's this constant sense in which our very existence is upheld by God constantly. Yeah. Our very consciousness that even allows us even to doubt and mm-hmm. be skeptics, mm-hmm. even that is enabled in a sense by by this participation in something in something divine. So there's this the, the pervasiveness of of the presence of God is such that we are all experiencing God all the time, right? As Paul says, although they knew God, now whether we worship God as God is 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 the problem that mm. that he you know the or whether you there. even know that you know God, yeah, and because you know I've I've seen yeah, that's I've a good seen point. Yeah. Atheists take that up as a point, going, I don't know God is real. That's the whole point. I am genuinely saying, I don't know whether I don't believe it, I don't believe God exists. I'm not saying it just to be to antagonise you. Mm. But I, I literally do not believe God exists. Well, and- um, Bertrand Russell famously said when someone asked that the philosopher from the early twentieth century, very famous uh, skeptic, um, wrote a book. Uh, you know, he, he was the sort of, you know, the Dawkins of his generation, uh, except right. uh, except smarter. Uh, I mean, I, look, D- Dawkins, I think, is great in the field of science, but yes. philosophically, there's, he doesn't have a lot going for him. Bertrand Russell did. However, uh, you know, Bertrand Russell sort of spawned this this kind of positivistic philosophy that did actually end up dying out by the end of the sixties because it was groundless in that sense. But you know, he was looking, you know, looking to establish something. And anyway, I'm not going to go into that. Mm. But he, someone asked him, "What would you say if when?" You, if you died and then there was God, and what would you say to God if he called you to account, right, mm. for not believing? And Bertrand Russell said, he said, you can't hold me to account for believing something for which there is no evidence. So, you know, so his statement, he would say, not enough evidence, God, there was not enough evidence. Mm-hmm. You know, but his concept of what he would accept as evidence, of course, would be scientific evidence, tangible evidence. Yes. But yep. it's like, but God is not a tangible object. Mm. You know, so already the challenge, the, skept- the, the skeptical challenge is already rigged. Because in order for me to accept God, God needs to be a tangible object. I'm not going to accept God unless he can be known as a tangible object. But God is not a tangible object. Mm-hmm. He's not an empirical object, right? So asking for empirical proof for God, who is not an empirical yeah. object, is already rigged. You're already saying, God, I'm not going to accept that you exist unless you are yeah. something less than God. Well, science was That's only so ever, rigged. Is, is science is only ever designed to work on the natural yeah, the natural world. It has nothing to say whatsoever about the supernatural. Yeah, in well, terms of what right, exists yeah. outside of. So it's it's almost it's that argument's dead before it even gets started. Mm. But I guess with those those experiences I've had where I've really doubted God, um, despite everything I know about knew about God, I still f- could see why. Like um, I'd be looking at it and going, I don't know whether God's real. And I actually want him to be real, but I actually don't know whether he's real or not. And it, it's like, it's not coming from a place of being, you know, wanting to disprove it, but I actually want it to be real. But still, I kind of think, and it's not even lack of, I'm not even looking for scientific evidence. I just don't know if God's real. But the question is, well, what's really going on there? Do you, do? does everybody really know or do they know, but they don't know they know? So it's like kind of they've they've <laughs> this is good they've they've, they've kind of written, see Connell I thrive on this sort of stuff. Gonna, <laughs> this is how like, about I'm getting excited, maybe twitching I, with excitement. Instead here. of no, they know. How about they know, they know, they know, or something like. It's almost like you, they the whole basis of the ground that they stand on requires ultimately um, there to be a god. 
you know, we yeah. won't get into all the reason for that, but ultimately that's where they have they have to be. And in order to for them to accept their ability to even reason and rationalize the way to, to a point of saying, I don't think God exists, requires them almost really to believe that there is something beyond just the chemicals and atoms that are running around inside of their body. So they don't kind of realize or they're suppressing the knowledge of that. And that's that what, there that's is what Paul says. But they, they suppress the truth. That's, that's right. right. It's a suppression of it that deceives them into thinking they mm. don't actually know. And this is the, this is the key... Uh, that that's a really key point because, you know, we talked about knowing God and, and knowing that you know God. But one of the things, because we're, we're still in the region of, of sort of knowledge and, mm. but what about the will? Mm. I mean, this is, this is a key, you know, we're assuming here that we're just this kind of neutral sort of receivers of reality, you know, as though we're neutral, right? Yeah. And, and if it was there, then surely I would know, right? That's, mm-hmm. that, that's the, but actually what scripture makes very clear is that we actually don't want to know. So, so we're actually, we're un- and this is where Paul goes in Romans uh, chapter one. He says that they suppress the truth of God uh, because they want to, essentially they want to function as God in their own, yeah. in their own right. And so there's a, there's a motivated suppression of, uh, of, of that knowledge because in one sense, because, well, as he says, they all, they know God, but they suppress that knowledge and uh, and that becomes the you know that that becomes the all important you know thing that essentially and and the biblical uh, picture of this is almost like this hard hardness and the way that i've illustrated this is that it's like we've developed a kind of a shell imagine if if we think go back to my uh, the illustration of the fish in the ocean. You know, where, you know, where's the ocean? Well, imagine, okay, that fish is made to swim in the ocean's natural environment. But imagine, you know, developing a kind of a, like a shell, like a, you know, and the way I've illustrated is like those deep sea submarines, you know. Imagine if you're in a deep sea submarine, it's like you've developed such a thick shell to keep the ocean out, right? Uh, and so, it, you could easily think, is the ocean really out? Is it really out there? You know, if, if that's if that's how you exist, you know, you've you've developed this this what the Bible refers to as hard heartedness, this shell that sort of shuts out that reality in a sense. Now, of course, as we know, that reality is at work within mm-hmm. us, but it's almost like in in terms of the will, we we sort of dissociate from that reality in some really weird mm-hmm. way, and so we kind of shut that out. And and in a sense, the shell needs to be broken. It's like, you know, we have this experience like we're somehow separated from this reality. Like you, you could sit in a submarine and think, well, I know the ocean's out there, but I don't, you know, it's it's all a bit abstract uh, for me. But if the shell broke, you'd find yourself in the, you know, yeah. mm. uh, in the, you, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the ocean. In a sense, I think we, we've shelled ourselves up. We're sort of suffocating inside these shells because we're made... You know, we're made for the presence of God and, and, and to, to, to thrive, uh, you know, immersed in this knowledge and, and you know, we're, we're created to live responsively to this ever-pervasive reality. But let me loop back to the start because I think maybe we build those shells because where you began, in our every moment, we don't sense we're experiencing God. And so we're trying to figure out how we do life in a sense, not experiencing God because we mm-hmm. haven't understood that God's all around us. So slowly we just kind of get on with, you know, and then we're just looking for God to jump in at particular points in time. And, and so it actually, that sense of obviously uh, incorrect sense of not experiencing God is actually feeding this sense of, well, we've just got to build something for ourselves because. But, yeah. But see the thing, the problem, the thing with that though, is that even that expectation in the first place has already comes from the God complex. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not going to accept something as real yeah. that I can't somehow grasp with my like. Already, that disposition is comes from a a, a problem in in, our, in ourselves, you know. Because so it, that's what we've got to deal with first. Yeah, it's 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 a yeah. That's right. It's it's in a sense, and this is the you know this is the way that scripture, you know, really puts it. It's it's like we've kind of created this kind of hard hardness and we've sort of died underneath that spiritually in mm-hmm. a sense mm. and we need we need to be broken out and so so that's where the you know this isn't just an intellectual process I'll stand back and I mean th- that whole disposition that says well I'm I- I'm going to stand back and until God makes himself evident to me I'm not going to believe mm-hmm. 
that is that's coming right. That's so rigged. It's come from the God complex, right? Unless God is an object that I can grasp or approve or say, yeah, okay, all right, yes, I will now agree that you're real. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but I guess. I guess it's us playing judge. Yeah. You know, we're playing judge and we're playing God as though God is the object. You know, we're the God and God is the object that yeah. needs to be prove himself yeah. to us. But I think, and I'll go to the most if you take someone who doesn't want God to, they, mm. they, they just don't, they don't like God, they don't like the idea of God, they want to mm. be, in, they know they want to be in control of their own life and, and so on. And I get that. But what about the Christian who is completely dry in their faith? And they're seeking and seeking and calling out to God day after day after day. And the Bible does create an expectation that God is present enough that there should be some kind of relationship there. And you feel as though you are trying to engage in a relationship and God isn't coming to the party. He's so distant. So such an abstract concept, you can't get through to the personal mm. side of it. That can lead you to the, and look, just looking at my own story, because that's mm. why I come back to it, because I think it's a very real place where yep. a lot of Christians yep. I agree. are in that really dry place and mm. cannot find God. They're seeking. I mean, the Bible says if you seek, you'll find. If you knock on the door, he'll open the door. And if you seek and you don't find and you knock on the door and he doesn't open the door, I don't need it open now, but at some point it'd be good for you to open the door. And he doesn't open the door year on year on year and you become really, really dry in your faith. Mm. Then you start to to question, is this lining up with some sort of reality? And then I think what happens is there's a shift that then takes place where you start them saying, I need more evidence. I'm not prepared to just accept or expect uh, Mm. some sort of really kind of just more softer kind of evidential approach. I actually want, you start to look into and go, well, what is the evidence of God? Am I really banging on the wrong door here? And then you start, you start wandering into that territory of saying, well, God, you're going to have to prove yourself. Yeah. Having, having been in that, having been in that place, very much been in that place. I think I, with that door illustration, you know, knock knock and the door will be open Mm. to you. And it's very much continued. Keep on knocking. Mm. Often in that, what we imagine is that it's us trying to get into some in into some we're on the outside and we're trying to get into some reality and so we see seeking is us trying to get into you know it's like god's on the inside Mm -hmm. and we're on the outside and we're knocking to get on the it's actually the other way around in a sense that the knocking is on the inside of an enclosure that we built that actually we need to be set free from. It's it's like it, see it's not us trying to get into God's sort of holy place. That's not what's going on. It's actually uh, us knocking on a door to get out into, in a sense, uh, out of our enclosed sort of unholy place. Yeah, it's it's something more like that. See, I I, I think my realization of of this because I kept. You know, every time I would pray, I'd be like, God, where are you? I just, you know, and this, I just feel like there's nothing there. And, you know, and again, this comes back to, well, what was I, what was I looking for? And one of the biggest breakthroughs was actually this recognition. I actually have to start with exercising that little bit of faith that God has given me mm-hmm. and start with an acknowledgement of the fact that actually, you know what? Uh, I am experiencing God all the time right now. Like I, I, I actually, rather than stressing about, oh God, like I'm, I can't really even get started because I don't really know that God's there. Actually, starting with an acknowledgement, God, you are present. You mm-hmm. are here. You, you are the very being. Yeah. That that I participate in is is your being yes the very consciousness that en- enables me even to have this struggle is a, already a participation mm-hmm. in something of you right because that struggle is just never ending it's like because we're, we're you know it's like again that's that frustrating search for something and essentially it's it's wanting god to be something less or or to present himself in some particular way mm. So that then if only I can grasp this, then oh, then I can start. You know, when God yep. turns up, then we can start on our walk together. No, 
you, you are you are already immersed in the presence of God. You, it's like you've got to start from that point of view. Yeah. That you've got to start with that acknowledgement. Yeah, you're absolutely right with that. You've got to start there, and I think that I've heard you say that before, and that did have a profound effect on me because once you realise that, you you can kind of stop seeking. Well, again, I don't mean I don't mean I don't mean stop seeking in the sense of. You know, you're always kind of seeking a, a deeper relationship, yeah. but it's and think, that's what seeking means. It's it's the seeking in that deeper relationship yeah. with God. Yeah. But I think sometimes when we're knocking on the door and we're seeking, we we think it's because we want a deeper, and we do want a deeper relationship with God. But where is it coming from? Is probably something within us that still wants that tangible yeah. thing that we can stand on. And I think, and as I sort of shared a few episodes back in my own sort of walk with God, because I've walked through doubt, real doubt, and then had that profound experience with God. And the, the key with, with actually encountering God in a, in a powerful way was the fact that I'd kind of arrived in God's hiding himself from me and mm. not responding to me and not opening the door in the way mm. that I wanted him to do that. He left me really to get to, to two points which which rock are you going to stand on? Neither is proven. And this is the problem for people like, you know, like Dawkins, for example, when he paints a picture of faith versus reason. Mm. He talks as if he's standing on a rock that's all proven. Indisputable. Indisputable, mm. you know, and he's not either because there's so many things that are just taken well, yeah, you know, and, including and, the fact that there's no more to reality than tangible yeah, reality. Yeah. That's a statement of so faith you, in itself. So you're going to stand on one of two rocks. Neither of them are going to be proven empirically. Yeah. Neither of them are going to have the level of evidence that you need to go categorically, that is true yeah. and that is false. You have to look at it and go, but which which one do I want to stand on and which one sort of makes, again, I don't want to make it sound as if we've got to reason it, but you don't get to choose whether you want to stand on one of those rocks. You have to stand on one of them. Yeah. And I got to a point where what I knew about God in my life was always made way more sense than God not being real. Mm. And so I had to make the choice of going, I know what God has done in the past and I know who God is. I've just got to make the choice just to stand on that rock and then stop making demands of God because that's the rock that I'm going to build my life on. Yeah. Now, once I did that, it's like God said, right, now we can talk. You know, yeah, yeah. You've stopped making the demands. Now let's actually yeah, that's you know, right. meet. Let's yeah. Um, and, and, and the seeking, you know, to get back to your point about seeking, Connell, like hmm. we tend to think of – Seeking can easily become seeking to know in the yeah. in the sort of intellectual sort of sense, yeah. uh, but actually, we seek with already with that knowledge or, or at least that acknowledgement of the fact that we are already participating mm-hmm. in God at so many levels. You know, we're already experiencing this in so many levels. Seeking actually is seeking to know God in the relational sense, because in Scripture, the you know, particularly in, in the Hebrew. Uh, notion of knowledge is a relational knowledge. You know, it's it's seeking a closer, ever closer relationship. But some people never get going with that mm-hmm. because they're waiting until they know that that sort of basic what what I'll you know in philosophically call epistemological sense. Like yeah. you know, like ah, oh, you know, I've got to wait until God becomes evident to me. And then I'll start doing the relationship yeah. stuff. Right. But actually, you need to start doing the relationship right stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like the reality of God becomes more evident in a sense the more that the more that you mm. engage in that relationship. But in order to engage in a relationship, you need to actually start on that rock and start by accepting that you are always experiencing God all the time mm-hmm. at so many levels. And it's beginning to recognize that. Yep. And again, it's making that statement, you are present, you are here, and, and starting to respond to that and connecting with God relationally. I, I think what you're saying there, if we tie that back to where we started, and we're talking about faith and contrasting that to what, um, say, Dawkins talks about in his definition of faith, mm. faith 
to me is not believing in something that has no evidence or reason behind it, mm. some arbitrary belief, but it's actually going, well, I've got a little bit of knowledge that I know is enough to make mm. me go, I actually want to stand on that rock that I think God is who he says he is. So I want to, I'm going to stand on that rock and I'm going to take one step. And you take yeah. those steps and in those steps, you experience God in, in some way. You build on that, your confidence grows mm. to keep taking those steps. At no point did God ever prove himself or, or prove that the next step, you're not going to fail or fall over. Mm. But I know that, before mm. God was was there and and so therefore my confidence in him grows. My faith in him grows. I've, yeah. I'm trusting that the path that I'm walking on is the right path that continues to grow. I can't point to the evidence. If, the, if it was based on just straight out evidence, then mm. your faith isn't built on the journey and the steps that God's yeah. taking you through. Yeah. I think just as we as we wrap up, what what we'll do in the next episode is is I just want to address, I guess this almost we, we I feel like we we in in our time we're susceptible to a view of God that's that I would actually um, define as deism essentially you know it's like a it's the God who's kind of out there and pops in every now and again when we need him to and there's a there's a particular origin to that that I think is really is important to recognize and and really what we're talking about here is is getting back to that original biblical understanding of God I think it's really important to recognize because we've talked about these relational issues it's an issue of the will and and this is where this is the importance actually and this is why Jesus is so central to our faith and so central to knowing God because Jesus reconciles us with God because there's a relational breach it's not a knowledge breach we know we all know God by virtue of being the very fact that we exist right it's like uh, at the most fundamental level we know but there's this relational breach that almost causes us to turn the other way and Jesus is God coming to us to fix that relational breach because some people would say well okay I accept God and all but all the all that Jesus stuff such a paradox and it doesn't make sense and but here's the thing without Jesus all you ever have is some vague, distant notion of God out there somewhere that has absolutely no effect on the way that we live. Because what we're saying here is that actually you know God in a deeper and deeper sense as you relate to God, as you enter in onto that relationship. And Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is the one who reconciles us to God and allows us by faith to begin that relationship. for joining us for this episode of Thrive Perspectives. Our hope is that these discussions will challenge you to look at life from a new perspective. You'll find all our resources at the Thrive Today website, thrivetoday.tv. If there's a topic that you'd like us to discuss, please email us. Our email is contact at thrivetoday.tv. Until next time, our prayer is that you will thrive.